when Elaine asked me if I would lead another service, I was very surprised. I suppose I felt a little privileged and humbled to be asked again to lead worship to the Lord. Then I realized Colin and Elaine were in America. (laughs) And that's why they asked me, and possibly why they asked you. (laughs) I came down to earth with a bang there, and I thought, well, there you go. I remember thinking, though, I have tons of time to prepare for it. I'm certain it will just flow. And that's where your thoughts start to slow down. The temptation begins to creep in. Don't have to prepare it yet. Can do it next week. Well, I'm thinking about it. So isn't that preparing it? Suddenly, the service is this weekend. I have no order of service. No hymns, Brian, star. And nothing written down. It's all in my head, but there is nothing written down. I sent Andy the order of service on Friday night, got the clip on the order of service wrong, so sent him the, the, the link to the clip, different one, because I sent him Daniel in the lion's den on the order of service, and then sent him the clip for the fiery furnace. I knew what I wanted to say, but getting it down on paper is not my easiest and strongest point. Fairly early in the summer, I felt that God had given me a theme. Or maybe it was, it was even two. To talk about us never being tested more than we could handle. And to prepare ourselves for the new year ahead. New year. Well, you must know what I mean. It's always seemed to me like September is the start of the new working year. The schools go back. Everyone's had the holidays in the summer, or should I say, a lot of people do. And when the kids come back, it becomes more and more difficult to have time off. Almost everyone gets really stuck into work, both in their jobs and in church. I know there's a massive outreach for the holiday club in the summer, but we've all used this break to relax, to unwind. Congregations tend to get a little smaller. We end up having no Sunday school that meets in the church because that is just the way it has to be and the way it is. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just the way it is. But come September, everything is back to the way it was. That was winging it, by the way. (laughs) So in September to me, it is a new year as it all starts again. We start to prepare and plan. As a BB leader, we need to prepare and plan. We will meet and plan the meetings and work out what we're doing. And more importantly, hopefully, who's doing it. I'm sure this is the same for a lot of people in our church. I was talking to the Brownie leader yesterday. She's going to do the same. I believe God was speaking to me about this over the summer. And he also wants me to share some of it with what he was saying, of what he was saying with you. As I said, the readings we've had this morning are familiar. The first reading is from Corinthians. Let's set the scene about Corinth. From my Bible notes, they tell me that the church at Corinth existed in a secular and sensual city. The people were preoccupied with pleasure, athletics, and commercial and personal affluence. 
The city was a meeting pot of many nationalities. The city was intellectually proud, materially affluent, and morally corrupt. The prevailing philosophy in Corinth encouraged its people to indulge their desires wherever they may be. Greed, dishonesty, drunkenness, impurity, lust, selfishness of every kind flourished in Corinth. Does that sound remotely familiar? Can you see any of that in the world that we live in today? Can you see any of that in today's society? The message that God gave us then is the same message that God gives us now. Our society seems to have little morality, little regard for the law. We're constantly bombarded in the media about having what we want. Greed, lust, both for the physical and material is rife. And a growing number of our society have no regard for life itself. How should a church function in that environment? Paul's first letter to the Corinthians is written to answer that. In the passage that was read to us, Paul specifically mentions four sins that were rife in Corinth. If we just look at these again in verses 7 to 11. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test Christ as some of them did. And they were, and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble as some of them did. And were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. This next verse is quite key. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. I've had two instances in the last four weeks to share that verse with people who are not Christians. People who are finding life really hard. People who are going through difficult times. People whose relatives may have cancer and don't know how to deal with it. People who worry about their lives and whether it's worth even continuing. And on both instances, that was the verse that I shared with them. There could have been millions of others. There could have been many others. But I felt at the time, maybe because I've been preparing for this, and maybe God had this in mind for me all the time, that was the verse. So here we have idolaters, fornication, testing God, and grumbling. Grumbling. Now, come on, have you noticed that one before? Have you seen that one before in that passage? I hadn't. Have to be honest, I was a little surprised when I really looked at that last one. I never considered that to be that serious. I didn't. And yet, for the last six months, I've been 
watching things develop around our community, in our schools and wherever, and I hear an undertone of people complaining. And they're not complaining to the right people. They're chunnering between themselves. They're just discussing things with each other. Nothing comes from it. What does come from it is a divisive, divisive, non-constructive attitude. Things do not move the way they should. Because grumbling is way more serious than you think it is. It undermines the way you think. It undermines the way you are. It undermines the way you talk. It undermines the way you act. And yet, do we all do it? In some way, shape or form? Do we all talk about it behind people's backs? Do we all think about things that we should just go to the person that's perhaps upset us or wound us up and then put it right? Do we do that? Mm. We'd be stupid if we thought that these things would not tempt us. I think nine minutes has gone, by the way. (laughs) It won't be, honest. As Christians, we need to realize that not only does God know who we are, but so does Satan. As we stand here as Christians, Satan's primary goal is to make us fail. To turn us away from God. To stop us being effective witnesses for him. To make us doubt our faith. Or even to make us just to take our faith for granted. We know we've been saved. We know we've been saved by the Lord. We know he loves us. We stand tall and stand firm for God every day. Really? Every day? All the time? 24-7? Can't work the rest of it out to get to a year, but it's a long one. Do we? Being saved and becoming a Christian is not something that once done, that is it. It requires dedication, commitment, faithfulness, and obedience to do what God instructs us to do. If Satan can turn us away or reduce our effectiveness in any way, how many other lives will be affected by that? Let alone our own. Satan's methods can be subtle. We will not always recognize the temptations that are thrown in our way. Grumbling. Grumbling. Mm. Stick with me, that one. They can come at us from anywhere and even the least likely sources. We need to stand firm in the Lord. We need to support each other. That's the importance of fellowship. One with another, of curing, supporting each other as the family of God. This is church. We are a fellowship. We are a family. We should be able to share with each other, to support each other, to strengthen each other. We should be there when people need. Mark, you asked me for a lift a few weeks ago and I couldn't give it you. And I must admit, that has played on my mind quite a bit over the summer. And I apologize to you now, but gratefully, you did manage to get there, but I am sorry I couldn't do it. But that is an example of support. 
We will not be tempted beyond what we can bear. That is the key sentence to remember. So whatever the devil says, whatever the devil does, God has given us a way to cope with it. When, you are doubt, when we're doubting, you can do things. Confronted with doing something wrong. Watching something you shouldn't. Getting unnecessarily angry. Unable to advise someone because you don't have the words and therefore you begin to feel inadequate. Remember these words. Forgetting them will sometimes make you doubt your faith. Or maybe not make you, but lead to it. I think this is one of those verses that we will all need to keep up there in our minds. Certainly when I shared it, one of the people was actually a Christian. She'd never heard it. Didn't even know it existed. Did you all know it existed? Did you all know that that verse was there? That verse was there for you? Did you know that? If you didn't, remember what it is. Let's look at our second reading. The setting again from my Bible notes. A number of common problems plagued the churches of Asia Minor, including the church at Ephesus. The heathen religions had to be reckoned with as powerful and growing forces. Internal bickering threatened the church. The allure of the world attempted to claim the allegiance of believers because their vocational and financial success was wrapped up in how they related to the secular world. Could the church fit in with both worlds, God's world and the secular world? Again, any similarities to where we are today? I think there's enough. Paul saw the answer to the above as being that the church could maintain their commitment to Christ at all cost and run whatever risks were inherent in that decision. I write some big words down sometimes. I'm not so sure I understand them myself. The risks included public humiliation, loss of earning power, and even physical persecution. He wrote the letter to the Ephesians with that in mind. To follow this, the church had to be dependent on the lordship of Christ and to keep unity in the body of believers. The whole reading is definitely well known. To be honest, I don't think we'll ever tire of it being read again or remembered. Verse 10 says, Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Why does Paul tell us that? So that we can stand our ground and be ready to face evil and temptation when it comes. Let's just read verses 14 to 18 again. Stand firm then. With the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. 
I'm reminded of all the times we've done this with BB. Getting them to colour it in and get glue the bits on the soldier and this, that, something else. Hopefully with them, something will have stuck in. I think it must have done or else we wouldn't have got so many people there yesterday. They were quite welcome to come to the church and quite interested in it. And it's the way it's developed because some haven't been since it's been extended. The sword of the spirit, the word of God, which is the only weapon on that list. Without knowledge of the Bible, you will have no chance, no chance of defeating the evil one. Read as much as you can. I know this is something I do, not nearly enough, but it's something I will try and improve. Many sermons have been given on this topic, and I don't intend to try and compete with them, because I'm not theological enough. So I've just four things that I would just like you to think about. First one, and, and they won't take long, be grounded grounded. Remember who God is. Know who you are. Who God has made you. Who is on your side. Pray all the time. doesn't have to be just in the morning when you get up or at night before you, before you go to bed. Do not be afraid of talking to God. He is your father. He knows everything about you. Remember that because it's a scurry thought. If you really think about that, it's a scurry thought. Brilliant thought, scurry thought. He is right beside you. (laughs) Remember that. Whenever you're somewhere, remember God. Remember that as well when you were being tempted. He's here. Have you ever really thought about that? Do you really believe it? If you do, that should certainly wake you up. Be obedient. So we had grounded and obedient. Read the scriptures. Read about what God says you should do. Do it. Do it. I nearly put there, wherever possible, But although that is how we feel, that's not what we should do. He tells us what we should do, how we should live our lives, period. That means do it. I'm not saying that is easy. It's absolutely not. It's only possible with God's help. Be ready. So I've got grounded, obedient, and ready. I nearly put be prepared, Ron. But then my BB nature told me I couldn't do that. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what circumstances you're going to be in. This is, this is just a side this, but a couple of years ago, I, I, people at work know I'm a Christian. They don't know how much of a Christian I am, but they know I'm a Christian. And my boss's dad died, and the elders know this because they prayed to support, and some others do, but... My boss's um, dad died. And my bosses aren't Christians. So I got summons to the house for a meeting one day and asked to take the funeral of their boss, his, their boss's dad. 
not exactly something I've ever been told how to do. Certainly not something I was prepared to do and not something I was confident about doing. And yet I prayed about it. And yes, with God's strength and in his grace, I took the funeral at the crematorium in Stockport. Seven months later, my brother-in-law died. And my sister-in-law asked me to take his funeral because she knew I had taken one and she knew of my faith. That was hard. What was even harder was two months later, my mother-in-law died. And my father-in-law said to me, will you take her funeral? Now I'd done two. I couldn't really say no, albeit that my wife was also needing my support. But yes, I took her funeral as well. Be prepared because you don't know what you're going to be asked to do. You don't know what avenues are going to open to you. You don't know what somebody is going to say to you. It could be anything. But you will not be tested more than you can handle. And with God at your side, all things are possible. I would never ask anybody to do that, really, because it was a really traumatic experience. But with God's strength, we got through it. Last one. Be thankful. Always remember that God is with you. That he gets you through the day. That when you're stressed, he's carrying you. And all things come from him. Your last thought should be, thank you, Lord. Your first thought should be, thank you, Lord. He is always here. Right, I got an acronym out of that. And this is for the nerds amongst you. The best acronym I could come up with was GORT. G-O-R-T. Does anybody have a clue what GORT was? No? He was the robot when the time stood still. That was the robot's name, Gort. I'll never watch that film again, but if you ever watch it, the robot's name is called Gort. Remember this. Grounded. Obedient. Ready. Thankful. This is the start of a new year. A new month. A new day. We should never look back. We should always look ahead. Are you ready to stand for God? Amen to that, Ben. To be counted. To be prepared. Amen.